0: Hello, it is good uh, to be here. Thank you for inviting us into your space for church today. We are here expectantly, and um, we're excited to spend this time with you.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm here. I'm. I'm going to be on the computer. I'm chatting. I'm here for prayer. I'm here to just talk and hang out. And Pastor Allen's here, and he's going to be singing our songs today. And I'm really, really excited <laughs> about that. Me too. <laughs> Cool. Uh,
2: so <laughs> I took him by surprise. Exactly. <laughs> I, you told yeah. me you weren't going to say anything. about this. So you, yeah. you surprised me. Um, I but I I, I'm. I'm really excited to uh, just for all of us really to be a part of this. Online um, experience, you know, a number of people have been engaging these services in some mm-hmm. very creative ways, and that's been fun to hear. In terms of people, maybe they can't watch Sunday morning; they're watching it during the week by themselves. Maybe they're grabbing their, they're gathering their family to watch it. A, a friend of mine talked about how um, he gets his family together and they go over to a friend's family's house and they watch the service together. And recently, they have considered inviting neighbors, just putting a sign out: "Hey, this is going on." And awesome. So so many cool ways um... and so thank you for inviting us into your home into your space yes. um, to to worship the lord together
0: yes and guys we could not do any of this without your incredible generosity so thank you so much Um, for partnering with us so that we can reach multiple people um, in different states, different countries. Um, We are so grateful for that. We have made it very simple. Uh, If you would like to give a gift we have a text to give option. You can also go onto our app or online um, and give a one-time gift or recurring gift there. So again we are so appreciative of you. Uh, We also have ways that you can be prayed for. We have a text to get prayed for. (laughs) Uh, You'll see the the text on there, but we have people that are there and they would love to connect with you um, in any way that they can. Uh, So please take advantage of that. Also, uh, if you are not getting our online digital announcements right now, we would love for you to have that. And so if you could fill out the connect card and just write in the comment, uh, digital announcements, we would love to make sure that you get those, so. Wow. I know that was that a was mouthful. A of things.
1: <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna do the opposite and try to <laughs> calm things down a bit, try to calm our heads and kinda create a space for, uh, for the Holy Spirit to come. Um, and so please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for coming into our spaces. We thank you for the ability to have church together to hear the things that you are saying, to be a part of the things you are doing. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. Thank you for creating spaces for us to go and encounter the great things that you are doing. Open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to the things that you have for us. In Christ, I pray. Amen. So if you
2: have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Philippians 3 beginning in verse 7 we are going verse by verse through this amazing letter paul wrote to his friends in philippi and today we find ourselves in a passage in which paul gives one of the most beautiful and clarifying descriptions of what it means to be a christian yeah, i feel like there's a lot of confusion today about that particular word in our society for many people being a christian means you believe certain things about jesus that he you believe he died on the cross you believe he rose from the dead and as long as you believe the right information, you're a Christian. For other people, being a Christian is about whether or not you prayed the sinner's prayer. It doesn't matter how long ago uh, you know, you, or how you've lived your life since you prayed that prayer thirty years ago or whatever. The important thing is that you prayed those words at some point in your life. And then for others, being a Christian is defined by certain religious behaviors. If you go to church, you read your Bible, you try to be a good person, you're a Christian. But what Paul is describing in the passage we're about to read is so much more substantial than any of those things. So look with me at what Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 7 to 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is God's word. Notice how Paul describes what it means to be a Christian. It's about knowing Jesus That word knowing that Paul uses here in verse 8 speaks of a personal, experiential, intimate knowing of Jesus. I mean, you can read all sorts of books and articles about your favorite athlete or actress or politician. If there are any favorite politicians, I don't know. But you can read all the books and articles about your favorite actress or athlete. So you know all sorts of details about their lives. You can name your children after them. You can start a fan club. You can tattoo their name on your body. But the reality is you don't know them personally. You're not in relationship with them. Paul here is talking about the fact that being a Christian is about knowing Jesus personally, not just knowing information about him and not just relying on some prayer you prayed decades ago, but actually knowing him in a real person personal way and growing in our relationship with him. Okay. So how can we grow? How can we grow in our relationship? How can we experience this dynamic, personal growing relationship with Jesus? Now, our tendency is to try to answer that question by immediately focusing on a list of things we need to do, but that misses the heart of this question. If we're talking about relationship, we're talking about knowing Jesus personally, the heart is essential. The heart is key. And so in this passage, we see two absolutely essential heart realities that fuel a growing personal relationship with Jesus. First of all, what do you treasure? What do you treasure? What do you value? This is a really important question that impacts our lives in ways we often don't even realize. I mean, Jesus once said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what what makes that such a powerful statement is the realization that our heart is actually the core of our being. Our heart houses our loves and our priorities and the things we desire, the things we value, which means that our heart shapes our choices, our decisions, our lives, whatever we treasure, whatever we value significantly shapes the, traje- the, the trajectory, the, the direction of our lives more than anything else. Okay. So with that understanding of why what we value is so significant, looking at what Paul says in verse seven and see this through the lens of what Paul treasures, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I mean, talk about a huge shift in values before Paul came to Christ. Paul admits earlier in Philippians three, that he had placed a very high value on knowledge on diligently following the law and on being right. And on looking down on people who weren't as devoted as he was, I mean, status and reputation, political power. Those were all the things that had high value in Paul's heart. And he built his life on those things. But something happened to Paul that changed all the price tags that shifted all the price tags. Everything that had value before no longer had value. In fact, he refers to all of these things as garbage. As KJ pointed out last week, that word translated garbage was actually a a vulgar word in that culture. It's basically the S word in Greek, so what on earth would cause Paul to so shift his heart that all these things he considered so valuable were now a pile of poop in comparison? It's when Paul encountered Jesus in a real way and suddenly everything else in Paul's life paled in comparison. Look again at how Paul says this in verse eight. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Everything is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. This word, word surpassing worth, this phrase surpassing worth, describes something that is over and above in terms of excellence. I mean, this is, you know, this is the New York Philharmonic Orchestra compared to me trying to play violin. This is Disney World compared to the swing set in our backyard. I mean, for Paul, knowing Jesus became a supreme value in his life. Jesus became Paul's ultimate treasure. And because of that, everything else paled in comparison. Everything else took a back seat to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, which brings us back to this vitally important question. What do you and I treasure What do we truly value? Because whatever we value the most determines what we will pursue the most. Do you see why valuing Jesus is such an important part of knowing Jesus? If you and I value him more than anything else in the world, our greatest priority will be to know him better. We will build our lives around that pursuit, around that priority. It reminds me of the parable Jesus told in Matthew 13 about a man who found a treasure in a field, hidden in a field, and so he, he hid the treasure, he, he hid it again, and then he went out and he sold all that he had in order to purchase that field so that that treasure could be his. The treasure was worth everything he had. See, for Paul, Jesus is the treasure Everything else is loss compared to having and knowing Jesus. Another way of saying this is that a Christian is someone who sees Jesus as beautiful. A Christian is someone whose heart has been captured by his beauty and now desires him more than anything else. I mean, if we only see Jesus as useful, We will try to use him to get the things we value, success, money, comfort. But when you see Jesus as beautiful, you joyfully reorient your entire life around him. I mean, notice the language Paul uses to describe this Jesus. He says, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my Lord, not the Lord, He is my Lord. Again, there is this personal relationship in which because of the beauty and value of Jesus, Paul joyfully surrenders every part of his life to Jesus. I mean, think of an area of your life in which you're struggling with some sin, anger, lust, greed, lying, impatience, gluttony. I mean, often our approach to these struggles is to kind of white-knuckle it, right? You know, stealing up our will to try and overcome this, whatever it is, which rarely works. But what if in that struggle of desires, our focus for a moment shifted to seeing the surpassing worth of Jesus and letting our hearts be stirred by our desire to know him? I have a feeling that all these other des- destructive desires would lessen the more we see Jesus as truly beautiful and our hearts are captured by him. Now, all this sounds great, but, but how do we do this? I mean, how, how, how can our hearts truly grow in really treasuring Jesus? Well, that actually leads to the second critical aspect of knowing Jesus. What are you resting in? What are you resting in? Look with me at verses 8 and 9. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, Paul is contrasting religion, with knowing Jesus, with Jesus, they are not the same thing. Religion is humanity's attempt to get to God, you know, to be righteous like God, but it's actually deeper than that. Religion is basically humanity's way of dealing with our fears by trying to control God, trying to control God. If you just do, just do this list of things, God must accept you. See, that's ultimately about control, right? We're we are the ones in charge. God must do what we want if we jump through the right hoops. That's about control. Now, every religion has its list of hoops, right? Its list of ways to get to God. Paul articulates the Jewish list in verses 3 to 6 of this chapter, but there's also a Hindu list and a Muslim list. And in many circles, there's a, a Christian list a list of things you and I must do in order to gain God's acceptance. And Paul says, all of that is garbage compared to what Jesus offers us. What Jesus offers us is a relationship in which, as Paul says here, we are found in him. Paul uses this phrase in Christ over 80 times in his letters in the New Testament. To be in Christ is to be enveloped in his person and his work on the cross. Religion says you need to try really hard to become righteous. You need to you know, clean up your life, try to be a good person. And then if you do those things, God will accept you. But the, the problem with that is that it doesn't work. It either leads to one self-righteousness and hypocrisy where we look down on anyone who doesn't follow our rules nearly as well as we do. And our rules don't even include some of the things that we struggle with, you know? So there's hypocrisy there. It leads to that, or it leads to spiritual exhaustion and failure where we feel certain that God could never accept us because we're unable to follow him very well. We're unable to keep his commands, but here's, here's some amazing news in the gospel. Jesus offers us his righteousness as a gift. The word righteousness simply means our right standing with God. I mean, think about this. Paul says here, even though we couldn't earn a right standing with God in trying to follow the law, God chose to give it to us as a free gift when we place our trust, our faith in Christ. Okay, so what does this mean practically speaking? Well, here's an analogy. Let me put this in an analogy. It's been very helpful for me. I want you to think, just put in your mind a picture of a recliner. So think of the biggest, hugest, softest recliner you can, you can just imagine, okay? Do, do you have a picture of that recliner in your mind? Okay, so think about how a recliner works. It's different than a chair. When you're sitting in a chair, your feet are on the floor. So you can stand up at any moment's notice. You know, on the spur of the moment, you can stand up if you need to. But when you lean back in a recliner, your entire weight is on that recliner. You are are enveloped in that recliner. It is supporting you completely. Every part of your body is resting on the recliner. See, that is a picture of what Jesus offers us in the gospel. He paid the full price of our sin on the cross so that his righteousness could be given to us as a gift, which means we don't have to try and earn our way to God. We don't have to try to strive to get better in order for God to love and accept us. We can rest in Jesus. We can rest in his sufficiency and his righteousness. Okay, so how do you know if if you're fully resting in Christ's righteousness or not? Here's a way to tell. How do you respond to failure? How do you respond when you really mess up, you know, when you blow it? See, for years in my own life, anytime I would give in to some temptation, I would feel like a total failure. And I would feel like God's natural response would be to remove Him, to distance Himself. I mean, why would He even want to be around me? Why would He even want to be near a mess up like me? I didn't even feel like I could pray, you know, or maybe I had to wait a few days to pray. I didn't feel like I could pray. I felt like such a loser. But over time, I began to realize that's not the gospel. The gospel says that I am in Christ, period. I am enveloped in his work. When I fail, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed for giving in to the temptation. But I know he still loves me. I know he still surrounds me. And that love motivates me to follow him. I mean, that love, that kind of love motivates me way more than fearing his judgment ever could. Resting in the full work of Christ frees us to actually live for Jesus because we want to, not because we have to. And that changes everything that changes everything. One of the most inspiring examples and helpful examples for me in terms of what, this, what it looks like, to what it means to live this way is the story of Hudson Taylor, who at the age of 22 went to China to be a missionary, and he served there for the first 15 years, serving faithfully, being an incredible role model of spiritual discipline and maturity to everyone around him. While, but while things looked, you know, outside, on the outside, they looked really good, things were not good within. In fact, in a letter to his mom, he kind of opened up his heart. He opened about, up about what was really going on. His sense of He admitted his sense of failure, his sense of shame, of not being able to resist temptation very well. He's leading this organization. He can't even you know, resist temptation very well and, 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 and feeling so far away from God, not even sure God could love him because he struggles so much with sin. Well, in that place of spiritual exhaustion and weariness and discouragement, Hudson Taylor received a letter from a friend who described a very powerful spiritual awakening that had recently happened in his own life, in this this man's life. This is what a part of the letter said. How do we get faith strengthened? Not by striving after faith, but by resting in the faithful one. Hudson Taylor would later admit that that phrase exploded in his heart in a good way. He realized that knowing Jesus is not about striving and struggling for more faith. It's about resting in the one who is faithful. The one who already paid in full for our failures and our shame. As Hudson Taylor began to lean into and practice this reality of resting and abiding in the sufficiency of Christ, his entire spiritual experience began to change. He exuded a peace, a gentleness, a quiet confidence in Jesus that resulted in amazing fruitfulness. How fully are you resting in what Jesus has done for you? Where where are you placing your confidence? In your effort, your goodness, your ability, or in his ability, his goodness? The Christian life is not intended to be a burdensome, wearying life, trying to do more and to be better. It is intended to be a joy-filled life, in which we acknowledge our inadequacy so that we can lean more fully into Jesus' sufficiency. Not striving after faith, but resting in the faithful one. Now, all that sounds great, but how do we truly experience more of this resting reality in our lives? Well, it's by seeing Jesus in all of his beauty and sufficiency Do you see how these two things go hand in hand in our journey of knowing Jesus and growing in an intimate relationship with him? As we treasure him for who he is, we will rest more fully in what he has done. Look, friends, knowing Jesus in this intimate way is not something that is reserved for the super spiritual. No, 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 not at all. It is a life that is accessible to you and to me, because of Jesus' work on the cross, it is not about our effort. It is about us treasuring Jesus above all else and choosing to rest completely in the recliner of his work and his sufficiency. Let's pray together. So as we are entering into this time of response, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to open your heart to what God might want to say to you in prayer. What does God want to say to you? So I want to start by both, just thinking about both of these questions prayerfully. First of all, what, what do you treasure? Just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what do you treasure? What do you value? Because whatever it is, that's what you're building your life around. If it's anything other than Jesus, he longs for you to place him as your treasure. To see him not as being useful, but to see him as being beautiful. So Lord, we we welcome you into our heart in this place of things that we treasure. We truly want to see you as, as beautiful. Open our eyes, open our hearts to that. And the second question I want to encourage you to process, just prayerfully to process. What are you resting in? What are you resting in? In terms of your sense of whether or not God accepts you and loves you and values you. Are you, are you resting in your work? Are you trusting in your effort, your ability, your goodness, your Quiet time that day. What, what are you trusting in? Holy Spirit, would you help us learn to rest more fully in Jesus? So that even when we fail, we would know we are surrounded. We are surrounded in your love. And in your presence, we thank you. We thank you for how sufficient and beautiful you are, Lord. Holy Spirit, just take us deeper in these places of delight in you and of of resting in all that you have done for us.